right, so we're, we're still here in this portion of Jesus' beginning his ministry. He's here in um, Capernaum. He's right here around the Sea of Galilee. This is Peter's hometown. Um, Jesus is likely um, making a home at Peter's home. Uh, that's what a, a lot of the historians and scholars think, that he spends so much time here in Galilee, even when he tells uh reinstates some of the disciples and kind of gets them back on mission post-resurrection. He goes back to kind of where it all started uh, here in Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee. This is all kind of um, him connecting the dots and circling us in, but this is where he begins. It's not where he's going to stay, but this is where he begins it all. And this is, again, uh, think of kind of a, a, a blue-collar town that's based off of agriculture, based off the fishing industry. This is the area that they're in. He, he's, he's hanging out here, not in Jerusalem, not in the, the hustle-bustle big city uh, where you would expect a, a, a rabbi like him, the son of God, the, the person who's going to be the biggest um, religious influencer, the person who's speaking on behalf of God, the place he goes, isn't the place that most people identify as, quote-unquote, God's place. He just kind of goes to a a city with regular people like me and you. So we'll start verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, remember they were at the synagogue, Jesus heals uh, or exercises this demon out of this guy who, uh, and again, I think it's just, I I, I left and thinking about all week long, the first place a demon shows up in the gospel is is in church, um, is, is in the synagogue, the closest equivalent to, you know, what we have as a church gathering here. Um, I thought that was wild. So Jesus has just cast a demon out of that. Again, Jesus, the whole reason Jesus was there in the first place, he wasn't just going there to attend. He was going there to do what? Teach. Teach. Yeah, he shows up with the sole purpose of teaching. And you're going to see here in a second, that's what he continues to do some more of. So as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. That Simon there is Peter. Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. And so he went to her and took her hand and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him, and they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. All right. We're going to read it one more time. I want to read it this time. I'm going to pray and then we're going to read it again. Um, and this time I want you to, now that you've got it on your mind, in your head a little bit, to read it and be able to try to see what you can see about what does it mean to be a man of God based off of what you see Jesus doing in this passage. And then we're going to have a good conversation about that. Father God, I pray that you would, as we get ready to to go back and read this passage that now we are somewhat familiar with, I pray that you would help us to see the things we need to see in your son so we can understand, know, and live out 
what does it mean to be your son? Help us to see Jesus as the true man of God, the true representation of what manhood looks like, and help us to learn from him this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, draw out the things that we need to see here. Bring them to the surface. Bring them to our attention. It may be something different from every single one of us or maybe the same thing for every single one of us. But I pray even as we come to this passage yet again that you would allow us to begin to see what we need to see through your word. Not through my words that I'm getting ready to talk about these words, but help us to see specifically what we need to see through your words. In your name, amen. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. We're going to switch the script up a little bit this morning. So we read, read through that two different times. And uh, I just want to just kind of get where you see what you guys see and, and, and hear what you guys hear in this. As you read through that and hear that a couple of times, um, what are some of the things right off the jump that stand out to you that you learn about what does it mean to be a man of God as you see Jesus in this couple of uh, passages. What's some things that stand out to you about who he was and what he's doing in this? Go ahead. Yeah, he got alone and prayed. What else? Mm-hmm. He stayed on task. Good, yeah. I'm going to talk about that for sure. Go ahead. He, uh, he was doing something that no one else was doing at the time. They had to go look for him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Anything else? He's actually leaving his group to go do what, they, what he wants them to do versus, you know, him being influenced by, you know, them wanting him to come back to wherever they were at. Right. Yeah. He's nice to mother-in-laws. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's not his mother-in-law. That's why that, <laughs> that's why it was easy, right, guys? Uh, it's easy to be nice to somebody else's mother-in-law. <laughs> I'm just glad Peter wanted her to be well. You know, that's that's so something good about her and uh, Peter's relationship. Uh, anyway, anything else before we get ready to roll into it? All right, cool. So 
let's lean into this, kind of go, take it a, a chunk at a time. So they leave the synagogue, and one of the first things that stands out here is, again, how Jesus' ministry is common people with common problems. He, he, he goes to a, a, a mother-in-law who's sick. I mean, he's, just, he's, he's in this place where, again, we got to remember, this is the Son of God. Like, this is God in human flesh. This is how he chooses to begin his ministry. Um, going to the home of a, of a random fisherman and, and his brother and, and going up into this home and, and healing a lady who has a fever. Now, one of the things I love about um, this story about him healing this mother-in-law with a fever, you get to see this person, this guy, Jesus, who's in the synagogue, just, you know, again, he's preaching and they say he was preaching with what? Authorities preaching with authority like moments before and then they come out of the synagogue, they come into the house and then there's a completely different moment in time that he has to just, you, you see the multifacetedness of how Jesus ministers to and heals people. They're in the synagogue, he's, he's, he, the demon starts freaking out and he literally is just like, shut up to the demon and then the demon comes out and all that happens. And then they come to Peter's house and you see Jesus being incredibly gentle. He's going from authority teaching and authority over demons. And then in this moment, he comes into a house with a, with a, with a mother-in-law. Um, and I think when we close our eyes, we see an elderly woman here. But this is probably a woman who, I mean, she, she very well could have been just, you know, mid to late 50s, 60s tops. Uh, they did things a, a little bit earlier as far as marriage and have kids and stuff like that. So if this is Peter... Um, Tim would be one who, who, who is, you know, I know uh, is on the same page as I am. Many of the disciples were likely in their late teens, you know, to early 20s. And so if this is Peter's mother-in-law, there's a, I mean, it, it's, it's, she's the same age that your mom was when you were graduating high school, likely. So don't picture this elderly, decrepit woman. This is somebody who's, picture your mom when you were graduating high school, that age. And he goes and he grabs her by the hand and he lifts her up gently and then he heals her. Now, I love this story because what you see when she is healed, when she's made well, what does she get up and go do? Serve. She serves them. Now, some churches and some pastors, they'll quote this passage and go, okay, that was a woman doing what she was supposed to do. They'll say, this, see, this is a proof text. This proves that women need to be relegated to serving the men and the religious leaders and the authorities. But if you continue to read your Bible and not just pick apart one little verse at a time, what you see is the same Greek word there that is used when it says, she served them, is the exact same Greek word that Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, when he said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. And this is, this is Jesus saying this. this I didn't, he said, I didn't come here to be served. Even though Peter's mom-in-law, she's doing that for me. The whole reason I came to the earth was not to be served, but to serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And many theologians, scholars, they say that that is the hinge verse in Mark, that Mark puts that there as the turning point in his gospel where he makes it very clear that from this moment forward, Jesus is going to lay his life down as a ransom for many because his mission was not to come here and be served, to be worshipped, to, to do all these things or to have people do all these things to him, but to be just like Peter's mother-in-law, to be one who serves. So we see him in this moment. He, he does this amazing act for Peter's mother-in-law. He cares about what his disciples care about. And then from there, you see 
this, this story kind of shifts a little bit. And it says, when the sun goes down, they start bringing all these people to him. The significance in it saying, when the sun goes down, they bring all these people to him, is because this day, uh, when the sun goes down, it means the Sabbath is officially over. The Jews in their... They're basically their laws that were given to them by God. They weren't allowed to work or to travel on the Sabbath. But you're kind of wondering like, well, that sounds like the day was still going on. Why is the day over? The Hebrew day calendar was different than ours. So for the Hebrews, and this is important, for the Hebrews, the day started when the man got home from work. That was when the day begun. So the most important part of that, again, the first fruit of their day was the work is over, the sun is setting, I'm at home with my family, we're eating dinner together, we're breaking bread, we're fellowshipping, there may be some playtime. The beginning of the day was the end of the work day. So the first fruits of their day was what they did when work was over. And so what we see them doing here is now that it's reached about six in the afternoon, that Sabbath day is now officially over and a new day has begun. That's why the people are like, okay, we know Jesus has miraculous powers and everybody there in Galilee, they're bringing people in, they're traveling, they're walking and Jesus just starts healing and healing and healing people all night long. He's healing people. And then we see Jesus early in the morning go out and do what? He goes out, he, he has to get away from the crowd and he goes away and he finds himself a solitary place to go and be with the Father. Now, I love this because it, it proves and points to something for all of us in our, in our lives that you're going to have, every man of God is going to have these three demographics of a relationship or these three phases of a relationship. Hopefully, you have a close one-to-one -one relationship with the Father. Then you're going to have your relationship with your family. And, and for all intents and purposes, what Jesus is doing here when he is in this home, this is his household. Like this is very likely the place that Jesus actually laid his head down at night and quote unquote lived. If there was ever a, a place that was Jesus's home, it would have been here with Peter and, and here with Peter's family. So you have your one-to-one -one relationship with the father, you have your household, and then you have the community. So you have the father, family, your family, and then your community. And what Jesus is going to show us through the story in regards to manhood is your relationship with the Father, how you pour into that relationship, the time you spend with Him directly influences who you are with your family, what you do there, and then who you are in the community, whether that's work, school, um, the ball field, church even for us. Who you are in those places is directly influenced by, who you, by the amount of time and the connection that you have with your heavenly father. And so what we see here with Jesus is that he, in these moments where he's healing um, Peter's mother-in-law, where he's healing this multitude of people, what we can see from this is that what he's doing is he is actually leading these people. He's serving these people and he's doing it out of his relationship with the father. See, what we can understand from this is the work of Jesus is both an inward work and an outward work. It's both an inward work in that Jesus knows he's got to go and spend this alone time with the Father. But what he also knows is that if I'm going to go spend this alone time with the Father, this is this inward work of me making sure my heart, my, the mission from God is what my mission is lined up with. And there's unison there. It's an inward work. But he knows that in direct correlation to the amount of time he spends with the Father, 
he's propelled to go out and care for other people. That, and this is where our, our quiet times, our Devo times break down. If you have a quiet time or you have a devotional time and you feel like this is what I, all I just want to do, I just want to continue to go back and get away to this quiet little place. And I love going to this quiet little place and, and talking with, with my father and reading my Bible and praying or memorizing all these scripture. And there's never a compulsion to go out and though you have been ministered to by God, to go out and minister to other people, to serve other people, I would question whether or not you actually had a connection with the Father. Because what we see true about Jesus here is that when you truly have a connection with the Father, you go out and you serve. And then when you go out and serve, you run head on into the brokenness, the demonic, the wild, the crazy, the, the pain of this world. And as you're in the midst of that, what, is that, what does that force you to go do? To go right back to the Father and go, oh my goodness, uh, this is broken out here. This is wild out here. God, I got to go get along with you. These people are driving me crazy. I need some help. And so there's this, there's this cycle that I, I see Jesus putting on display for what true manhood is. I meet with the Father. I draw into him for the sole purpose of being able to go out and do what Jesus said he was going to do, to be able to serve people, to be able to glorify and magnify God. And I meet with him because I long for his resources. I long to, to know who he is and what he's doing in my heart. And then because of the time that I have here, I'm compelled to go back out and to my family be the father they need me to be. Be the brother they need me to be. Be the husband my wife needs me to be. To, to truly exist as one who is not in those places for my kids to serve me, my wife to serve me, the people at my, my, my um, extended family to, to, to kind of bow to my needs. But I'm in my family for the sole purpose of me pouring out myself out of what God has just poured into me for their sake. And then from there, the next rung out. And there's, I think, no coincidence that this is the order that the story goes in. Jesus takes care of family, and then who does he take care of? The community. I think there's, there's no coincidence that that's the order that it comes in. Then he goes to the community, and they start bringing him his need. And for us, this is kind of where it's, it's, it's our work for many of us. This is the place where, where you go every single day, and you're going to bump into the needs and the brokenness of the world. For some of you who are still in school, it may be school. But he goes from this moment with the father, serves and cares for his family, and he goes there, and then he comes right back to pour into his relationship with the Father and have the Father poured back into him. So it's both an inward work and an outward work. And so one of the things that we can understand from this is that who you are and the time you spend with the Father has a direct effect on who you are with your family and your community. And what you see here, along with this, track with it like this, you see Jesus pray. The two things that really stand out in this passage. Jesus is praying and he's serving. He's praying and he's serving. The prayer is where Jesus taps into his identity as a son. Through his prayer, continuing to tap into the identity is I am the son of God. And then through his, um, what, what he's doing as a servant, he's continuing to tap into this reality and this truth that I am here for other people. I'm not just here for myself. I'm not just here for my own glory. So you, you see these two things run uh, parallel. And he goes on from here in this passage. And 
we see him go out to this place and this, this desolate place. Um, when you see, if you have some different Bible translations, it may translate that word solitary place. Uh, in the ESV, it translates it a desolate place. It's the same um, Greek word there that is wilderness. So when you see right there in your Bible, if it says solitary place or lonely place or desolate place, it's actually the exact same Greek word that is a couple of passages earlier when it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. It could be the, it led Jesus into the solitary place, the desolate place. Um, you could even translate this. Um, Jesus got up from the house and went off to uh, the wilderness where he prayed. I think there's something for us there, guys. Not in the fact that we all know, like, it's not a news flash to you guys this morning, like, hey, you should get up early and go pray. Like, nobody's like, dang, I wish somebody would have told me that. I had no idea that I'm supposed to get up early in the morning and pray. And so I don't, I don't want to pound that into you this morning. I hopefully can just show you the significance again because that's not a news flash. And I love the fact that you guys, it's still dark outside. And, you, you, like, there's an aspect, as I was reading this, that I'm just I'm proud of you guys because... You're being like Jesus in this morning. We're not necessarily, you know, we're going to pray this morning. We're going to do those things. But you got up. And again, you're not necessarily going to a desolate place. But you're saying, I'm going to go to a place where I know I can connect with the Father. And I can connect with other men of God. And there's, there's something of huge value to that. And as much as it is critical that I think we have these moments where we connect with each other, I cannot emphasize this enough. <clears throat> Every man of God. Proof positive by the life of Jesus Christ. Every man of God needs a desolate place. You need a wilderness. You need a lonely place. You need a solitary place that you go and you meet with the Father. I am, um, I'm probably more of a outdoorsman than some of you. But the fact that I am an outdoorsman and, and like to be outdoors, uh, enjoy spending uh, days at a time with just a backpack in the middle of the woods, that doesn't, um, I think, just come from the experiences I've had or just my own proclivities and the things I like that I consider hobbies. I really do believe that God actually hardwires within the heart of men the propensity to connect to him not indoors. Where was Adam created? Outside. All right. Now, God, I think God could have made him a house if God wanted to make him a house. And God could have made him be born inside a house. But I do think there is something primal. And I'm not saying that you have to have your, your quiet times outdoors. But I am saying that there is something special. It's the reason that the outdoorsmen, the hunter guys during the winter times, that you'll hear you probably have a grandpa or somebody in your life who at some point has said something like this, well, I don't need to come to church on Sunday morning because I can experience God in the deer stand. Like we've heard guys say that. Anybody, raise your hand if you've ever heard a guy say that. I can, I, I'll see God on the, on the uh, you know, while I'm reeling in those bass. I, he's out there on the lake with me. I'm pretty sure there's like at least 17 country songs that explain that same sentiment that God is out here on the lake with me or God's in the deer stand with me. And is God in the deer stand with you? Yes. Can you connect with God in those desolate places? Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I have had some of my best moments with God on trout streams and, and backpacking. Like, so there's some of my most favorite moments with God. But that can't be only what you, where you go and you experience him. There's still this, this value in being part of the local church. So what I am saying here is 
Yes, have your desolate place. And for some of you, that, that may be a chair indoors in your house. But please don't take for granted the, your ability to just go for a walk or to go find some wood somewhere. Your ability to go and get out in nature, what God has created, and connect and talk with your Father in places like that. Because I really do believe those are the places where it gets easier to hear from Him. Because you're not indoors. There's, not, there's no Wi-Fi out there, you, you, you leave your phone in the, in the, in the house or some, and, and you get to the place where you're able to actually connect with God um, in a deeper place in those different spaces. And so uh, one of the last things I want to lean into in this story is um, what some of you guys mentioned as, as far as what stands out to you here. We see Jesus go out to this wilderness place. The Greek word for what it says, Hebrew, um, Peter and his companions were doing is actually not that they, it's, it's kind of, um, it makes it really tame when it just says they were looking for him. The Greek word there for what they were doing is actually hunting. It's like they were hunting for Jesus. They were doing everything they could to find this guy. And the reason they were trying to find him was because I believe people were showing back up at Peter's mama's house or Peter's house. People's like, they wake up in the next morning, there's already a crowd at the door going, hey man, where's that Jesus guy? And they're trying to start this whole thing back over. Like, all right, it's uh, healing day, you know, part two. You know, let, let's get this thing going. We're, we're in this healing ministry now. And they're like, where's, where's, the, main, where's the main act? Where's the, where's the big star? Where's the all-star guy? And they can't find him. So they go out and they're, they're hunting for him. And, and lo and behold, Jesus is out there praying. And uh, if you got your Bible, open this back up. And just, I'm surprised nobody said, um, said this when, when, when we were like, what does it stand out about Jesus? Look at um, verse 37. Chapter 1, verse 37. So it says, When they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Which, which kind of translates, Hey, we need your help. Everyone needs you. There's a crowd. Jesus, everyone needs you right now. Which again, if you're God, you're going, Everybody needs me? Wow. That's a, that's a big deal. Everybody needs me. And listen, listen to what Jesus' response is. They say, everyone's looking for you. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, is that not just like, I love, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 can't, um, I can't tell you how many times in my own heart I felt that at the end of a really long, hard week of ministry and one more person calls and I just, <laughs> like something in my mind goes, I just want to go somewhere else. And what's happening there, the problem is not that there's a need. The problem is that I need to get alone and go back to be with the Father. That thing inside of us that goes, let's go somewhere else, is more often than time not us, like Jesus here in the story, going, I'm just on mission and there's something else better for me to do. Most of the time when you feel that, when your kid comes to you and, 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 and one more problem at the end of the day, when your wife comes to you and one more problem at the day, when the person at work comes to you and there's one more problem at the day and you feel that red alarm in your head go, I just want to be somewhere else. Most of the time for us, it's not, well, I just want to leave all these people behind and continue on my great grand mission for the glory of God. Most of the time, that's not what's going on in our life. Most of the time, God sends you those things to say, son, you need to get back with me. You're on empty and you need to get back Go back to the desolate place because these needs, they're going to keep coming up. Like there's not going to be a moment when, you're, when your spouse or your kids or your church, your extended family, there's not going to be a moment where their needs and what they need from you is just going to be like, okay, well, we're good. We solved it. 
all, like you are a man of God for the sake of God pouring into you so that you can pour into others. That's the reason you were created with the tools that you were created with so that God could pour into you and that you can pour into you or you can pour into others and that by you pouring into others, people would experience God. But in this case, <laughs> I love that Jesus just goes, yeah, let's go somewhere else to a nearby village. And then look at his words. Mark, probably more than any other gospel writer, goes to a great point to make this very clear. He says, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So what we see from this passage is Jesus knows what? Jesus knows his why. He knows why he's here. And Mark, probably more than any other gospel writers, goes to the place where he makes a point that Jesus' mission was not to be a healer and a miracle worker who occasionally preached. Jesus makes the point that, or Mark is making the point that Jesus' primary mission was to preach the gospel, to bring glory to God through preaching the gospel. And occasionally he would exercise demons and occasionally he would heal people, but that was to prove and to back up, like we talked about last week, the authority that he was preaching. So part A of his mission is always preach the gospel. Part uh, 1A is preach the gospel. Part 1B is heal people and show the gospel that the good news is here and the good things are happening. But the primary reason he's here is to preach the gospel. And I love, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, the greatest threat to Jesus' mission right here is who? Who, who, oppose, who, who is introduced as a greatest threat to Jesus' mission early on, first thing in the gospel? The greatest threat is the disciples. The greatest threat is, the, is, is, his, is his group of guys. Because you got Peter, and John, James, Andrew. Right now, these are the only four that we really know are there, rock and roll with Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, look at how good this is. We got all these people showing up. Look at this, Jesus. We got to get back over here and heal. And so that like the first detractors, the first people who pose a threat to Jesus's ministry are his closest friends. And again, for, for us as men, there's, a, there's probably a little lesson in there that who you, who you put in your circle is really important. Who you allow in to have influence in your life is incredibly important. But one of the things I, I love about this is what Jesus refused to do is to sacrifice the great mission that God had called him to for the sake of good things. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Sunday. The greatest threat to your faith are not the evil things in life. The greatest threat to your faith are the good things in life that you let replace the great thing that God has given you, the great call he's put on your life. So Jesus could have stayed there in Capernaum. He could have stayed there just doing great things for all these people or doing good things for all these people, but we missed out on the great call and the mission that God had had for.